Hi, this is James Doherty of Sleeve League Distillers in Donegal. Pour yourself a dram and settle in. This is the Cask Chasers podcast. Well, Cask Chasers, I'm here again to drink whiskey with an awesome human being. Uh, this one comes to us from Ireland. Uh, you know I'm a big fan of Irish whiskeys, but this one's a bit unique and in a, in a really cool way. So I'm looking forward to uh, I'm looking forward to you looking forward to hearing more about it. Um, I'm here with my friend James, my new friend James, the founder, uh, co-founder. I believe his wife was part of that um, exercise too. Um, probably the main brains behind it. My wife's in the background nodding, so that makes sense. Um, we can't forget them. Uh, James comes comes to us from Sleeve League Distillers, um, and we are drinking, today we'll be drinking the Midnight uh, Silky, and we're going to learn all we can about it. James, welcome, and uh, I just want a little kudos from you for a somewhat pronouncing the name right because the spelling for my Gaelic non-Gaelic friends uh can be very aggressive but uh, but like anything proper it, it should be hard to say right uh James welcome Bobby thanks man it's great to be here and your, your pronunciation was awesome I have to say there there um I had all sorts of things said to me in the past um most of them actually after they pronounced it badly and then said some you know some some kind of anglo-saxon things to try and make me realize that i should have like, named it something else but um yeah schlieve league who'd have thought stick, the h is a v stick to your guns stick to your guns like yeah. you, like i think you alluded to before we came on lafroig's working with it so can uh so can you so uh and it works for them so I love Irish whiskey, James. I do. I'm a big fan. I like the texture, the flavor components, the gentle yet burst of flavor that comes from Irish whiskey. But yours is very unique. And um, I hope we can dig in that a little bit. Uh, this is mm-hmm. a this is a blend, of course. Um, and you come from a little background, a blending from an unknown small blending company. Um, <laughs> that I hope we can get. Can you can you tell us a little bit about your history and what got you from there to here? Yeah, well, I mean, my history is is kind of has has no real relation to uh, to whiskey really at the start. So I started off as a a water engineer, um, studied agriculture and went off to Africa with a wanderlust to um, to grow tea and coffee for a living. Uh, actually, it taught me the importance of taste, um, which is really fascinating. It's kind of making tea and, and running big tea factories and stuff. But we also had sort of 1,200 hectares of tea and coffee, and it was amazing how every field tasted different. Um, and also t- dealing with tea uh, without boring you on tea for hours is, is really quite interesting because the – a tea bush is put in the ground for 150 years. So if you stuff it up in that first two or three years, you live with it for, for the next hundred. A hundred and fifty years? You're picking those leaves off those trees for 150 years. So um wow. it's it's a so what it does is it teaches you the importance, or it taught me the importance of kind of doing things right and and trying to do things for you know, try and move at pace, but think and prepare for the very long term, which I think in, in whiskey context is really was a really good lesson to learn. Um, I picked up a wife whilst I was there. So Moira's from Zimbabwe. She's from Bulawayo in Zimbabwe. And uh, she was a midwife and an intensive care pediatric nurse. Um, turns out she's a far better gin distiller than me. But there you go. You have to live sure. with these things. Um, and and you, as you said in the introduction, we saw founded Sleep League Distillers in 2015, um, Moira, myself, and James Keith, a family friend who's helped us kind of build all the financial structures and engineer the business, and um, and and is every bit as important to the whole thing as as um, as, as me, and, and and certainly, I think it's that it's often underwritten, it's not really put up there, you know, the, the the importance of structuring it right, getting it right, planning it right, you know, we ultimately we've raised nine million euros to build the business so far, and. And we still largely own the business, which is um, kind of remarkable, really. So, so I was—I uh, did tea and coffee for six or seven years. We went; we were living on the Mozambique border, beautiful part of the world. But decided we'd had enough, moved back to the UK, and and fell almost accidentally into into William Grant and Sons. So, family-owned distillers, independent, brilliant business. You know, innovative, dynamic 
build businesses for the very long term uh, and, and had some amazing brands that you got to, to sort of look at. And, and if I'm honest, some of them, the biggest risk was that you'd stuff them up. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but I did I did a few years looking after sort of Central and Eastern Europe in a sales kind of role. Um, interestingly, they wanted a guy with sales experience and I was a farmer. They wanted someone who had European languages and I had two African languages, but no European languages. <laughs> Um, and they wanted alcohol experience. And apart from maybe having a, you know, enjoying it on a night out, I didn't have anything of any consequence. So you must how have, I got the job. You must have a hell of a personality to miss everything on the CV, but still get the job. <laughs> yeah, I'm quite big. Yeah. So okay. uh, if, Intimidation? If, if you, if, I was going to say, if you, if you walk into a room and you're 6'3 and 250 pounds, people tend to sit up and take sure, notice. Sure, sure. So, I think, I, I, and I'm lucky, you know, I do, I do believe that, you know, you, you get lucky with these things. But fortunately, the guy actually employed me, his parents were like my parents, Irish immigrants to, to the UK. His, his dad was a builder, so was my dad, um, had his own business. And, and Vincent had actually come out of Twining's Tea. And we'd had the master blender for Twining's Tea in our house six months earlier on the tea estate. So, uh, you know. Maybe it was meant to be. I don't know. There's a lot of happy coincidences that got us into grants. Did a few sales, knew I needed to do some marketing and kind of brand development stuff to get promoted any further. So I went into the marketing team at a time when it was probably, let me think, it would have been 2000. And it was quite an interesting time because the company was doing well, but it had a hole in the profit. And the MD and the marketing director said, we've got a £2 million profit hole. Mm. And we've got warehouses full of old whiskey. Go solve. <laughs> and and, uh, and, and so I got. It was a great problem, but also you know with a company like Grants, they had they had they had casks of things they just didn't even know they had almost. Yeah, you know, they were on a model somewhere, but they just didn't know they had them. And and there was a guy called Robert Hill um, and myself set about coming up with propositions and ideas for how we could turn some of these old barrels into money. Mm. And so Glenfiddich Havana Reserve, a 21-year-old Cuban rum finish. Delicious. That was our baby. Um, so Balvenie 25, Balvenie mm. 191, uh, the Isla Casks, the, yeah, yeah. the Glenfiddich 40, Glenfiddich 1937, the vintage reserves. We built a business that actually didn't make two million in the first year, but it did make a couple of million um two years later and and it's still it probably put some manners on the the kind of rare whiskey scene because the rare whiskey scene was real cowboy country at that time mm -hmm. and all the pricing was all over the place and we managed to put some structure on that which i think was quite useful um but i moved back into duty free just when duty free collapsed <laughs> and uh and we turned that from a trading business into a brands business which was quite successful and then i ended up on the board for a couple of years and, and at that time um, we ended up reshaping Latin America, which was, there was a lot of businesses in there that we, we, we were exposed and it wasn't good. Mm. And, and as the director, I was the one that was going to end up in prison. So, so we cleaned all that up. Um, and at the same time, we made some big changes to, to, uh, to the business that was in Russia at that time and, uh, South Africa, places like that. And, and these changes because the market moved in our favor kind of made me look like a, some sort of visionary when really a lot of it was luck. You know, the, you know, the Russian business went from 2000 cases a year to 200,000 cases a year. And, yeah. you know, you look, you look quite clever when that happens. Um, and, and South America, we managed to sort of restructure the business and still deliver the budgets. So that looked, you know, and I had a good, great team who did lots of very clever things. And we did some brave things and, and, you know, most of them fell well for us. So it was, um, it was a good time, but anyway, I left grants with an itch to scratch, which was, I can, I sort of said to more, I think we could do this ourselves, but didn't have sufficient money behind us. Uh, and, and probably hadn't really finished the corporate journey at that stage. So we joined Foster's beer just as it got taken over by Sab Miller. So, you know, a, a Miller yeah. brands. Oh yeah. And the, the the interesting thing there was that sort of Sam Miller said, look, you know, we don't want you to be an international manager looking after lots of countries. We've got lots of businesses in lots of places. What we'd like you to do is go to Asia and open up um, Asia for Peroni, which selling stylish Italian beer 
to to stylish Italian people in Asia. It's probably not the toughest thing I've ever done in my life. But um, <laughs> but it, but we we kind of reshaped the business in Korea that worked very well. We sort of opened up sort of Singapore, Hong Kong, Vietnam, and, and some of those markets went you know went very well for us. But we kind of knew that we were done. Had spent and were spending the evenings designing whiskey brands and gin brands and um and Moira had said to me in 2010 um that she we were picking seaweed on the shore and, and for a snack because we there's one seaweed here called dulce it's a bit like a sort of vegan jerky if you like mm. and we were picking it to dry and to have as a snack later and and she says anyone ever done anything with this in alcohol and at the time no one had so we we went away and I had to think about it. And when we were in Hong Kong, I said, you know what? I have a feeling that we could do a seaweed-based gin and it would be a gin of the sea. We could make this. And I think it's a big idea. And she went, oh, I'd love to do something like that. So she came up with Anduleman, which is sort of here. So ah, it's an Irish maritime yes. gin, super savory, has um, 11 botanicals, five of them are seaweeds. Um, one of which we only pick on a full moon um, during the day, I have to say, before anyone thinks I'm out on the rocks. No, it romances the story a little. So, we'll, we'll, It does. It's, yeah. it, it's practical, <laughs> yeah. uh, but it does sound, it sounds romantic. But then, um, and I said to Mo that, you know, my gran had given me granddad's pochine recipe. And I said, it's crazy to me that there isn't a distillery in Donegal when it has this illicit heritage. And, and actually all the Irish whiskey styles I think of today are, are a post-Second World War style of smooth, sweet, easy. Uh, that's not true of all of them. I'm, just, I'm kind of sure. maybe being a little bit unfair. But 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 it's a city-based flavor of unpeated, unsmoky whiskies that are that have evolved. And, and probably it's the only way the Irish whiskey industry was going to survive was they were, you know, that's how they evolved. And then it was super consolidated. And we thought that if we came back with this idea of smoky Irish as an idea with savory gin specific to Donegal. So Donegal first, Ireland second, that 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 would create opportunity, which maybe would mean, you know, we'd get a job out of it, but also people around us would get the opportunity to have jobs and and people like my mum who had to leave in the 60s could stay. Um, yeah. And that felt like something worth doing, um, which is kind of where that was 2015. And so the rest is what you see in front of you really I, I first off it, so much to unpack there um first and foremost if i can't find expect an email because um i need that gin in my life <laughs> um my favorite whiskey is highland park simply because of the funky seaweedy wet woodness yeah. of it so i dig that profile um so I, I started this off with, you know, Irish whiskeys are among some of my favorite whiskeys, but there's so few of them. Well, there really isn't, but there's so few in the mass market. The problem yeah. with Irish whiskeys, I think, are, and I'm speaking from the lens of a, the American buyer, um, and my yeah. audience is global, so I'm not to offend anybody, you know, elsewhere in the world, um, because it, it's not meant to be offensive, but anywhere you go, it's yeah. a different flavor profile that people are looking for. The American buyer loves in-your-face flavor. We we have muted ourselves, unfortunately, um, to you know over-seasoned meats and hot sauces, and we've just really obliterated our palates. So I feel like we need very hot, really heavy, and really punching flavors. There's yeah. a uniqueness to subtlety that I really enjoy, but I think this 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 midnight this it does a little bit of both. It it has yeah. though it does have elegance. It, it I would expect from a tea maker, and um, but it also has some punch that I think screams flavor and um, meatiness that I really really enjoy. So you said you start off in tea, and coffee, yeah, and I want to really really zoom back real quick. I think one of the most yeah. off topic back on topic, water. Yeah. We man, how we underappreciate undervalue water in the whiskey industry and we all know it's there we all know it's important you don't have many times i hear somebody scream limestone water blah blah water but nobody <laughs> though you know aqua vitae is probably it truly is the essence of the whiskey in a lot of ways who better to know that than somebody from 
the tea slash coffee world because bad water makes bad tea. Bad, I'm a coffee connoisseur while I'm drinking your whiskey. Yeah. I'm also sipping a cup of coffee. Um, so talk to me about water. And you happen to come from, before that, the world of water. Uh, yeah. yeah. So how important to you is water and this process in selecting it as an ingredient in itself? It's it, yeah. That's a, it's a really good question, actually, and probably one um, you're not going to like my answer. If I'm honest. Uh, um, I but, love. Well, you got me with really good questions, so you already win. So you can answer. <laughs> so we've. So what we've done is um, certainly in the tea industry. I mean, we. You know, it's an incredibly seasonal grow, grow, uh, crop. It grows dependent on the rains, and, and when that happens, there's a. There, actually, Moira's working on a gin at the moment that has the smell of the soil in Africa when the rain comes off it. Oh. So when you have a big rainstorm and you get that release of ozone and there's a kind of earthiness, it's just incredible. But anyway, um, by the by, what we learned about water when we were living there was, one, it's absolute importance on, on security of supply. And and we spent a lot of time because, you know, 1,200 hectares, there were probably 1,500 families on the farm, mm. you know, that were dependent on water, you know, for everything, from schools, for hospitals, you know, we had our own clinics and... Uh, plus the factory itself but you're taking mountain water straight off the mountain and, and we didn't treat it apart from for the boilers where where you try and make sure it had no no calcium and stuff that was going to kind of coke, coke up the inside of the boilers um but you you appreciate what what, what i really learned was when we, you know we'd make you'd manufacture tea all night and we would so we'd pick the tea during the day you would wither it for sort of between eight and 12 hours and then you would manufacture through the night so you're, it's a very weird life that you lead between the so the, the first rains tend to be the second week of november and then six weeks later is your first peak crop from that point on till may you're effectively seven days a week and probably 24 hours a day in terms of your your work cycle but it's, it's in fits and starts quite odd but what you could tell is when you move from one distillery one, one factory to another and you do a tasting with another guy on his teas and you know what his manufacturer was like the night before you could taste you, and you could tell by the, the kind of the shine of the waters the surface layers of the tea that whether there was bits in it how it how the how the caffeine flocculated out of it stuff you could tell what their water was like so it was absolutely crucial and to, to to understand that because you're trying to taste from a diagnostic perspective and i think in terms of blending whiskey that's probably where i'm at I, I know I learned with to blend a little bit with David Stewart. I've met a lot Who's of he? amazing blend. David Stewart. No, I'm kidding. I'm Balvin. kidding. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. all know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but a man who put incredible balance. Yeah. You know, David's signature has to be balanced. He's a legend. And and learned that from him. I wouldn't profess to be anything like him, but but I learned it kind of enough to make me dangerous probably um but but the, the that ability to kind of taste diagnostically to understand how to make things better or how to run the factory better or whatever was probably where my skill lay um and, and the same true of coffee where we were we were doing washed arabicas so you know you had to ferment mm -hmm. it you had to then wash the skins off then dry it all the rest of it um so the water was key to making sure we had consistency of supply, consistency in terms of quality and flavor. And we must have been doing something right because we we got record prices for our teas at the time in Malawi for um, you know, in on the on the auction prices. That the significant thing I think about that was Malawi tea is not great quality, so it's growing at so, such low altitude. And and that's so we would we produce the color that's in a tea bag. That's what we were good at. Um, so our teas were dark red, really got you coloured up, you know, but if you wanted something better, you wanted to go to Rwanda, Burundi, Kenya, where you got the higher grown teas, which had sort of briskness was off the scale. Um, but it's also, I think, helped me in this industry because I have a different set of language that I use mm. to describe the way teas and, and to, to taste the way whiskies and gins are. So come back to your water piece. I know we're all guilty, I think, in the whiskey industry of, of telling a story about springs and things like that and then putting it all together. And the, probably the lesser known bit is that we all then put it through a reverse osmosis unit or something else and strip it back to the whitest sheet of paper we can possibly get. Mm. Um, because it, it's about, it's almost about having as much control as you can 
over all of the stages of the process. So, so for us, heavily peated. So we're making heavily peated whiskies. We have a grains in process. So we we're putting, and this is in the distillery rather than in the blends that we're going to talk about. But but um, I think we're the only distillery in Ireland that's configured the way we have to be on the grain in terms of cooking. So we have a cooker, no mash tun, and then the grain goes right through the fermenter all the way to the wash still. Um, and so we know what we can get from all of those components at each stage. And so you want the water to be consistent too. And the easiest way to do that, or the most consistent way to do that, is to strip it back and no, to, to get it to them. I, I think you, and I appreciate that answer actually, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think we get a lot of, what I said before, a lot of limestone or you know rich in A, B, or C, or heather, or whatever it may be. Mm. I think clean water sometimes is the ingredient itself, you know, isn't the importance, yeah. just clean water to let the grain, uh, the, the copper or whatever may be the flavoring agent shine in the whiskey. Um, the thing about that I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, spe specifically coming from yeah. a blender's point of view, uh, because I think blenders are probably should be one of our most I think blenders and tasters are up there toe to toe as far as people we should tip our hats to. Um, sure, and Absolutely. of course distillers. I put them there as well because, of course, mm. they're, they're the scientists. But Irish whiskey seems to be so—I hate the word gentle—and I'm not I just lack of better words. It tends to be seems to be so gentle that there's not a lot of room for error. Lots of room for flavors, but very little room for error. And what I mean by that is um, one of my favorite distilleries, I'll give you an example, um, mm. is a Welsh distillery, Pendaren. And they have, Pendaren, yeah. right? And they created a peated whiskey on accident. Um, mm. And they just, they finished their whiskey accidentally in a Laphroaig barrel from Maker's Mark that had went to Laphroaig, came to them, yeah. they aged it and whatever. Um, I've heard so many stories about Scotch whiskeys specifically that something was off or not right but they could hide it in the blend they could hide it and you know whatever they could do with it um blending with irish whiskey or i'm sorry scottish whiskey makes sense blending with american whiskeys when it's off on a note or the barrel wasn't quite where it needed to be so it becomes something else with irish whiskeys it it, it maybe it's just a surface I, I i don't blend maybe it's just from my area my point of view, it seems like you don't have that much room for error because it's such a, am I, am I, is my, I don't, I'm not projecting my question well enough, but it doesn't seem, it seems like no. blending must be such a masterful art in the world of Irish whiskey because how do you hide something in such a gentle spirit? Does that make sense? It does make sense. I think it's, it's, it's interesting because I think from a, an Irish sort of, Irish whiskey category, if you look at the whole category, you've got this, it's a category of subtleties, really. And mm. and the sort of dominant style is sort of smooth, sweet, easy, right, and and flexible kind of thing. And, and, and that gives you now that that doesn't give you a lot of hiding place. If you're if you're trying to produce that consistently, exactly you know, time and time and time again and that's um and that is certainly true but i think that's a reflection of the kind of whiskey styles that are there and i haven't thought about this this is kind of just no kind of my I, initial reaction to yeah. this it. but it's it's a kind of if you think about the way whiskies have been the sort of style of the dominant whiskies that are today like jameson bushmills tullamore dew um they are a style that's evolved probably since the mid seventies, you know, maybe, maybe a bit longer, but, it, but it, it is really a sort of sixties onward kind of light, easier, um, style. And, and I think you're probably right that the blenders, it must be particularly challenging when you, you know, when you've got off, if you've got, if you're trying to hide off notes. And I think that the off thing is probably a bit of a red herring. It's just that, one of the things that's interesting for me is I remember listening to someone uh, and I thought it was a really good, really clever kind of analogy, but it was a, a conductor saying, 
explaining something, and I thought this was kind of an, a, a reasonable kind of corollary with, um, with 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 whiskey, was that you have this idea that the conductor, who's probably a virtuoso pianist or violinist anyway, is standing in front of all these people, and he's, and you've got all these virtuosos sitting in front of him who are single wall. They're effectively your single walls. Mm, mm, mm. And and someone said to him, you know, well, you know that that person, your first violinist, is a virtuoso violinist. You know, you know, what are you doing? And you know, she, she, she's playing or he's playing the violin. What are you playing? And he said, no, no, I play the orchestra. And and I think that's the that's the genius of the blender is the ability to to take an idea and for that read the sheet music and and to see the whole piece this 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 whole symphony and bring it alive with all of its colors and all of its variety and 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 be able to express it and and that's where i think they're brilliant is that they they have this ability to to know that one percent more of this or half a percent of that or this and bringing this in will push this up but then i need to push this down or i need to do this to bring in this or and and i suppose i'm i and i don't put myself with these guys but i when we've put these together to you know the silkies are for me an exploration of ideas and smoke there we it's a style of whiskey that should be bigger and just by quirk of history isn't and that's mm. fine um but it gives us an, an incredible playground to sort of come back to now and if you think about you know the whiskies we use are all sourced from the great northern distillery you know our distillery is in production now for just over a year so ultimately i'll be able to switch out the peated elements of of the silky for my own peated elements but i don't make anything but peated so I, i'm always going to have to buy the unpeated elements but if you go to great northern and, and probably West Cork have a similar approach. You, you've, you know, West Great Northern make 22, 25 signature styles in a plate. You know, so that's a single distillery that's producing double distilled single malt, um, triple distilled single malt, peated and unpeated, hot still, grain, and then all of the cask variants thrown on top of that. So, you know, you've got everything from virgin oak to, you know, 100-year-old Oloroso sherry casks or mm. something. And and so there's this enormous library to go and play with. And and the way I kind of think about it is not so much about trying to bring flavours in, but actually trying to bring fla take flavours off the table. So that, so I start with an idea, which is probably the, the, the strongest single idea is the dark silky, which is... It's the taste of my granddad's pipe mm. when I was 11 years old. So at 11 years old, I was like a feral child on my granddad's farm. <laughs> and I would be in the kitchen before him in the morning and his pipe would be there from the night before. And I would pick it up and I'd wander around the kitchen like I was the man of the house. And and I wasn't this big then, so I was quite, you know, Very little. Sure. But, you, you put the, but you put the pipe in your mouth and it had this sweet tobacco, ashy campfireness to it. But the sweetness of that tobacco also had this kind of apple-like aroma, which was just and and you, you can't see it, but it's like visceral to me this memory. And and when we went to the Library of Flavors at Great Northern, it was a case of saying, well, not that, not that, not that, and get stuff off the table because you're kind of almost par paralyzed by choice. And then saying, right, all of of all of these, I think all of these are bits of this flavor. And then you've got to build the structure of it and kind of go, I want. These are the sweetness bits, which I'm going to, are the base of the whiskies because they're all designed to be sweet uh, and soft. So they've got to have this signature soft mouthfeel. So I love um, whiskies and gins that have a soft mouthfeel. So I don't like to feel it around the outside of my tongue. I like it to go straight down the center of my tongue. I like it to sit like a blanket and and then the, the, the aroma is kind of opened on you. That's kind of what I like. And I, whether I achieve it or not, we'll, we'll find out in a minute. But um <laughs> <laughs> but it's you start with that sort of premise you build that kind of sweet structure and then you season it with all of the kind of other bits and so you're playing that library or that 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 orchestra of flavors and the, the genius of those blenders is is the ability to know where to find those flavors because they might not be in their library they might be in another distillery's library which they also have stock of and they've got to bring it yeah. in and they go um and I, and i think you'll see that, that, you know, I think we're in an era of the of 
where the sort of master blend, the master distillers are are revered like chefs, and that's good because they are brilliant individuals. I think are equally important. Pet, as you know, single malt whiskey is made all over the world. Yeah, Beb, everywhere. Right, everywhere. You'd be surprised to hear that there are few, very few, just a handful of single malt distilleries in England. Is that true? It actually is true. Wow. Impex is proud to be the importers of Spirit of Yorkshire Distillery. Okay. Located right by Filey Bay. Right by it? Right by it. Filey Bay? Filey Bay. The Filey Bay? The Filey Bay. Okay. Making some of the finest world-class whiskeys. And guess what? What? Spirit of Yorkshire Distillery is another distillery that was helped out by the one, the only, Dr. Jim Swan. The Jim Swan? Yeah, which, as you know, played a huge part in so many of the other brands within the Impex portfolio. Sure. From Kilhoman to M&H to Pendaren and so on. All of them, babe. So we are proud to have this maker of fine single malt whiskey in our portfolio. Take a look for it. It'll say Filey Bay on the bottle. Okay. Snap it up if you like big, fruity, tropical fruity whiskeys. That baby's for you, baby. All right. All right. Impex Beverages. Yeah. Proud sponsor of Cask Chasers Podcast. Yeah. I, I'm glad you keep bringing I don't up, know if I've answered your question. No, you, though, Bobby, sorry. You, you did and then some, and you've actually brilliantly led me to my, my next point and, and what I wanna I wanna talk about the whiskey specifically. I mm. um I think in when I think of whiskey, my wife and I are big lay in bed listen to music people we're, we're big music people mm-hmm. and our kids are big music people and they all play you know instruments or, or into into music so music is a big part of my life um so when i drink whiskey or anything for that matter i think of it in terms of music and my two favorite styles of music are either you know very mellow think pink floyd you know, shine on you, crazy diamond. That solo mm-hmm. for those that haven't heard it, go listen. It's incredible. Very like mm-hmm. euphoric and you know, and just 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 powerful and and romantic and and beautiful. And then my second is jazz, freeform specifically. Yeah. Peated whiskeys are hit or miss to me because when I think of a peated whiskey, it's just though you know, some people think in shapes, yeah. some people think in numbers, some people think you think differently in foods or whatever. And you can yeah. burn yourself. You said about your, you know, fought your his pipe. Um, some people may have a negative, you know, yeah. memory of smoke pipe, so it's ruined for them. With me, I think with peated whiskeys, I think of like jazz. It's either just the same instrument the entire time, which is boring, or it's very casual, you know, very generic, and then mm. burst of a trumpet. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, the same snare drum throughout the whole thing, very complex or very balanced, very continuous, nothing's different, very the way it should be, and then bam, you get, you know, maybe a, yeah. a hi-hat or something like that. That, to me, is a good peated whiskey or a whiskey with a peated element, whether it's a peated whiskey or a finished with, you know, peated barrel, whatever. Yeah. This is a very, and, and this is, take this as a compliment, jazzy bottle. It is, it's very, this. It, it's consistent, straight down the middle. There's my snare, or there's my, mm-hmm. you, know, hi, you know, hi-hat and my snare mm-hmm. just playing through. And then just these little pops of, 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 of guitar or, or trumpet. The P is only loud when you think about it. And then if you don't want to think about the P, yeah. you get the rest of it. And I, I love that in a peated whiskey. Highland Park's the same way. Highland Park's a little funkier. But it's yep. consistent, and then it has these little loud spikes. If you've ever looked at sound, you know you you see consistently you see these spikes and sound waves. Yeah, that's what this does for me, and I. But it's purposeful. So, cool. bravo! It's gorgeous. <laughs> Thank you. Full disclosure: I have been drinking this for a couple of days, so this is <laughs> this <laughs> this this this, uh, this is- review, if you will. And I hate doing reviews because who am I? It's all subjective, but has been a days in the work um we my wife and i couldn't figure out what we liked the most about it 
but I, I think it's, it's not trying to be something it's not, but it's everything it shouldn't be. And I, I like interesting. That. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's very Irish and it's very everything else too. And it's, so, yeah, it, it tastes a, like, you know really what it tastes like? Thing. You know what it tastes like? It tastes like an Irishman who's traveled the world. That's what it tastes like. So, well, and hopefully that's with the accents a bit of a giveaway. So I grew up in England, <laughs> yeah. but, but 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 my heart is 100% Irish. And um, that's that was the, meant for you there, James. No, you're a good man. Well, in fact, I was on a, I was at dinner on Thursday night, and uh, the Minister of Agriculture did a speech, and he actually said he was really pleased because I, I take over as chair of the Irish Whiskey Association in a month, and, and he said, I'm really pleased that it's a fellow Donegal man. And I thought, actually, you know what? That's the first time that's kind of happened. Someone said that I was from Donegal because. When you come back with an accent like this, it's it's hard to get away from. But I think to your point, um, there's another reviewer actually uh, here in, in in Northern Ireland who who said that that um, Dark Silky was a jazz band, was a jazz song. He said it shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah, and he gets uh, it. And 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 funny enough, I actually had a jazz quartet in in the distillery performing the other day. And, and um, I did. And f- real quick before you finish, full disclosure, yeah. hand to God, I have not heard that review. This is, okay. yeah, no. No, may God strike well, me. Well, it, it was funny because I, I wound Marty up about it afterwards, and maybe you've given me a bit of a different take on it, which is I'd said to him, you know, but that's that's the blender's art. It's kind of, you know, for me it is about balance, and it's about I view smoke as a flavor, a specific flavor compound that we're, we're looking to explore, enjoy, and and I want to surprise you. So I want to... I want to create, so we want to create whiskies that kind of are slightly contrary. So the world of Irish whiskey isn't peated in the main. So, so us being peated is contrary. Donegal is kind of contrary. You know, we do things that are, we love soft drinking, as we talked about a little bit just now. So that soft mouthfeel is mm. really important to me. And I don't think it's that common either. I think, but it, what it does is allows us to carry big flavor particularly in the gin, so huge complexity and richness. Uh, but it also allows us to carry big big alcohol. So if we want to bottle, you know, Midnight Silky at, at cast strength, 59% alcohol, it works. And because it's 59%, if it's not soft, it's harsh. You know, you just can't get away from it. That, that doesn't mean I think 59% is the ABV to drink it at. You know, I, I'd say it works best sort of 51, 52 is probably where it's at its peak. But, um, you know, the pricing-wise, tax-wise, you can't really do it like that sort of for your main releases. But but being in a a car strength release allows you to explore that, so what the right flavor is for you. And the softness means you can carry it right the way up to the 59. So um, we try and do things that are beautiful but not pretty. So, so it's not about... I love that. So if you if you know you'll um, uh, if you came to Donegal uh, and I'm sure you will, but come to Donegal, come and see. This is not chocolate box picture art, picture postcard island. This is a wild and raw and untamed kind of part of the country, and it's beautiful because of that. It's inspiring because of that, and you know there's a there's a touch of you know a having moby dick of me you know that's like you know bring it on bring on the worst weather you can throw at me i love it kind of thing but there's a donegal has that has has spots that are just beautiful beyond belief and they and they have a delicacy a, a sort of delicateness that makes them almost pretty but they but the, in the main it's a county that's kind of raw and wild and and untamed and i think it's it's beautiful and inspiring for that so we try and capture that we celebrate you know, you probably count the number of times I've said Donegal in the conversation so far, but it's Donegal and it's the place, the people, the language, the culture. So that's why the Silky is the mermaid legend. Um, and then the final thing is this kind of contrariness, which is something I've definitely inherited from my mum in space. Uh, and it is kind of, you know, how do we do things that are entirely appropriate for Donegal, but don't necessarily fit with the rest of the country. And that's fine because we're not we're not trying to be the next Jameson, the next Tullamore We're trying to be the first Silky, and 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 that means beautiful. You know that for us, the the 
Donegal is the Isla of Ireland, you know, less than 15% of the category. I'll take that. <laughs> Frankly, I'll take 1% of the category, but but less than 15% of the category. And yet it's very much the thought leader within Irish, you know, within Scotch whiskey. You know, people think about Isla as the Holy Grail, the place to go, that kind of stuff. And we'd love Donegal and Ulster, the whole of the kind of northern part, to be that that area of thought leadership to be the bit that's kind of thinking about, well, where does the category go? Where, where does regionality go? You know, and is regionality even a thing? Does it matter? Who cares? I don't know, but it, it's not going to be imposed on this kind of much more democratic kind of category than, than Scotch. So, it's, so there's a fascinating piece in there for me, which is, I think we're finding what we're good at. Yeah. Um, and, and, and actually the feedback we're getting is telling us what we're good at um and, and we'll we'll sort of center on that and we'll focus on that but i think um it is about balance in silky particularly it's about it's about balance and smoke as a flavor and surprise so i want the number of people who say to us i've tried you know i don't like peated whiskies and it's kind of like that's fine this isn't peated this is smoky and they kind of go oh, all right then i'll have a try and and in the range we'll find something that works for you either it's the the legendary silky the first one four percent of the blend is peated yet literally only get it on the finish so you drink it and you think you're just drinking a, a kind of fusion between a sort of bourbon style and an irish style together which has this hint of smoke right at the end which is completely disarming but quite surprising or dark silky overtly that pipe tobacco ashy but gosh, with this intense salted caramel baked apple sweetness, I get, um, I, I get a very, sorry. yeah, no, I get a very Aztec chocolatey kind of thing going on. A very smoky, little spice chocolate with, um, yeah, some fruity notes in it too. It's, it, it's not your traditional Irish whiskey, and I mean that in every positive sense of the world, of the yeah. way I say it. Um, I'm a huge, huge fan of Red Breast. I think Red Breast, yeah. right? Their cast strength is, mm, yeah, it's a different world. But it is Irish whiskey. This is something totally different, and I don't quite yet know what it is. But I think I've just been educated on what it is. I think it's the Isla of Scotland, of Ireland. Um, well, I I think yeah, you hit the nail maybe. on the head. It's different. It's very different. It's very traditional, uh, definitely Irish. You're not, yeah. Or, yeah I, okay, I, I, that's I get, important. That's really important. I, definitely yeah. Irish, definitely Irish, 100%. I get the Irish. Um, I would say Irish if I blind tested. But then it's got its own little language going on, and it's its own thing. It's it's unlike any Irish whiskey I've had. Um, so I do think you're going the right direction. I want to say something else too, which I appreciate this. And mm. I hope this isn't too um, uh, esoteric or whatever. I don't want to, you know, I have a lot mm. of, we have a lot of listeners that are new to whiskey and I try my best not to scare them off with, with language. So if I over explain what I'm about to say, it's for them, not you, James. Mm. I appreciate IBs, independent bottling. Um, you know, Gordon McPhail, um, you know, your, your, your impacts, you know, these great independent bottlers mm. and, and what it means to Thomas be, a, yeah. yeah, what it means to be an IB, um, and Irish whiskey and Scotch whiskey really has IBs to thank, but IBs today are different. They're a snapshot. So imagine you go on a distillery tour. There's a lot that happens at a distillery for the listeners. So many things. But that snapshot of memory you get at a distillery when you do a tour is what an IB is designed to do. It's, it's, a, it's not the entire story. It's a snapshot of a barrel, of a flavor, of a time frozen, you know, a, a, a moment mm. frozen in time. I always wonder, I explain that to say this, I always wonder why distilleries can't match a moment frozen in time. And the consistency is the reason. They're, they, they have a product to sell. They have to be consistent. That's, that's, that's why Jameson always tastes like Jameson. This is, how, this is what I would expect from a very qualified IB. It is an enduring blend Gosh, thank you. snapshot yeah. in time. And I hope the only sad thing about this is I don't know that it'll, this bottle will taste like this next year. And that break. I know it'll be better, but I'll miss it. 
You know, you, you have teenage kids and they're 17, 16, and you're like, man, I miss yeah. when you were five. And you miss that yeah. little five-year-old. It's br- bittersweet. It's supposed to be, but I'm going to miss this bottle. I'm going to miss it. And I think that makes me yearn for the next one. I think it makes me excited about the next one. I think that sad moment of when it's gone, I don't want it to be the same. I want you to keep doing cool things. That's the point of blending. Okay. I want you to keep making it different and better and being out outside the box. And I want you to keep making a whiskey that makes me miss the last one, but excited to get the next one. And I think that's that's the art of a good whiskey maker. That's the art of a good wow. blender. And my friend, you have you and your team have definitely <laughs> accomplished that. So um, that's you're very kind. That's massive pressure. <laughs> no, no. I, well, you, I, I think yeah. you already have it. I think you, I think you, I think through life experiences, I don't see how you fail. Um, and if you do, I'll be the first one to say yeah. it. I'll be like, hey, remember all that stuff I oh, said? No, well, I, they I, suck I, now. Well, we've tried to. Um, We've tried to avoid like using language like small batch and things like that. Mm. So I, I, thank we you. We deliberately we don't <laughs> use that language. I mean, we den- we genuinely we vat in sort of ten. It was ten barrels at a time. It's now twenty because the business is that much bigger. Um, which is actually probably making it more consistent rather than less consistent. But I've always felt like small batch as a term is a bit of an excuse. Well, I have two issues. I have issues with big guys using it. Ah, um, yeah. When you stick micro on the front of a distillery that's a million liters, I have a real issue with that. And mm-hmm. then, um, and if you if you put small batch on because you're just trying to play craft language, I just I, I don't like that either. So, but for for me, the challenge is I don't want the safety net. I don't want the safety net can, of one batch to the next. Can I say? Can I? I want to I want to say what you're saying, but I want to say something you can't say. Okay. Or would rather not, but I can because I'm a provocateur yeah. in media. <laughs> um, and I love this distillery, so I'm not bashing on them by any means. But Blanton's, I think, is the perfect example of what's wrong with uh, the whiskey industry. Blanton's is a outstanding whiskey, but it's different every year. It's a single barrel. It cannot be the same every year. It just cannot be. And what happened is a population of people who just want to drink whiskey for namesake, I'm talking to you, listener, you know who I'm talking to, they buy Blanton's because that's the name on the shelf and that's the name they know. But if you think about what it means to be a single barrel, how can it be the same? How can you say Blanton's is your is your favorite whiskey when by definition there cannot be, uh, it cannot be um, the same whiskey every year? It, it, it just can't be consistent. It's a single barrel. I think consistency is fine for your rail whiskeys. I think it's fine. You, you know, you want Jack Daniels old number seven to always be Jack Daniels old number seven consistency. Bravo. That's mm-hmm. fine. But your really good premium whiskeys that you're pulling out for your friends, family, or the ones you want to, re- they can't be the same every year and mm-hmm. they shouldn't be because it, it just shouldn't be that way. You know, this yeah. whiskey should, this silky should taste different than next year's release. It should have settled. It should be mm. the same. I should know it was made by the same mm. person, but there's no way it can taste exactly the same. And that's part of the fun. And that's part of the intrigue and why there's a podcast wrapped around the entire industry. <laughs> or I wouldn't have well, a show. It's interesting. Well, and it's interesting because you, what you say there, because I think um, one of the models that, that hasn't hadn't been tried in Irish. I was was a single cask mm-hmm. brand, and um, you know, so there's some the, the independent bottling routes kind of really come on. So the guys at you know WD O'Connell, Two Stacks, um, oh yeah, uh, Louis, Louise at uh, JJ Corey, Blackwater's doing some really cool stuff too. You know, there's a lot of guys doing you know, and hopefully we we're in that kind of pantheon. But but. One of the models I kind of was hoping to see in an Irish whiskey context was one that was a, a kind of distillery model based on single cask. And Limavady has gone that way um, with Daryl McNally, who was mm-hmm. formerly Bushmills and uh, Dublin Liberty. So I- I'm intrigued to see how his develops because I think it's I think it's brave. I think it's really challenging. It's it's out there and. It, um, and, and you know, but he has—he certainly has the skills to make it work. So, it's—it's it's an interesting time because I think the, you know, the 
you know, we're not in our distillery, we're not trying to match to, to Silky. So Silky is a, you know, we're going to build this. I want this to be, you know, my version of Johnny Walker kind of thing. I want it to be here forever. I want it to tell for everyone to it to be the gateway into smoky Irish whiskies. And then the distillery in our draw produces things that are profoundly smoky. Now, still not as as challenging, as difficult to like as some Islas, because it's it's we're, we're cutting differently. So we're we're we you know our intermediate still, so our second still, we're starting to, sh- to put the bold shape on the liquid, the whiskey mm-hmm. that we like, and we start to sort of take away those kind of iodine TCP tastes. So we cut separate to to make sure that we don't get them. And then when you get to our spirit still, we we're cutting even finer, you know, and so we're we're shaping and then polishing a style that will be unique to us. And I think it, it will for many people be way too challenging, but it, it won't be challenging. It'll be challenging like Donegal, not challenging like Isla. It's just Isla's a great proxy for how, how to sort of, hopefully people will see the county in, you know, in 50 years time, hundred years time. You know, I'm not, I'm not a big deep peated guy. I don't mind a peated whiskey. I, you know, I had um, Jim McEwen on and love yeah. him, amazing human being. <laughs> um, but holy shit, some of it, I told him, I said, Jim, you don't ever, you know, you don't have to outpeat the world. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and he yeah. did. He still has, I think. I think he has one of the high, well, he's retired now, but I think Brooke Laddie has one of the highest peated um, PPM uh, whiskeys available. But peat is a an, an ingredient. You know, just like anything yeah. else, you hit the nail on the head. It's just an ingredient. I want to say something else real quick about this whiskey. Mm. I, other than your cliche, you know, Irish coffee, I, I'm going to get that out of the way. Mm. Scotch whiskey and, and Irish whiskey, I've, I have a hard time making a cocktail with. I just, I, yeah. I, I just don't enjoy cocktails with these two whiskeys. I can see, and this is a compliment. I can yeah. I can see this in a cocktail. This would actually make a very nice anything. It, it it has all those elements that I'm looking for in a good cocktail. It's not Irish whiskey can be too flat for a cocktail. Um, uh, Scotch whiskey can be too prominent for a cocktail. You, yeah. The good thing about bourbon is it's it's one note, one long drawn yeah. out note. This is not one drawn out note, but it's got enough flavor. And, and and balanced enough that I can I I, I feel like I want to experiment some cocktails with this thing. I, I, tr- try a sazerac. I tell you, I think it, mm. it works really mm. well in a sazerac. So yeah. uh, I mean, it's uh, just to, to maybe just give you some of the detail on the on the barrels that are in here, just so you, please, because that gives maybe, maybe gives you some of the the textures and the flavors you, you're kind of picking up. So I think um, the the backbone of it, well. It's 35% of the blend is peated, peated triple distilled um, Irish whiskey in a bourbon cask. And that's that's the kind of, I suppose that's the, the thing it says on the tin, if you like. But the 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 sweetness structure that we hang all of the kind of subtleties on is created by two, two casks. So it's a triple distilled, they're all triple distilled in this one, triple distilled, unpeated single malt in a, a Cabernet Sauvignon cask. Mm. And it's giving you, um, and the whiskeys are all in that kind of three to four year old range, which is kind of like where I like to play. And they are giving you, uh, that gives you this kind of almost like a toffee apple sweetness. Yes. So like you get that that red toffee and then there's that, cr- you bite into it and there's a red apple and you get that crunchy red apple inside it. That that gives you that bit. The rest of the sweetness is really provided. You said chocolate earlier, which is really interesting because the imperial stout casks, um, we put in because I thought they would give us kind of rich, bitter chocolate. And and if I'm honest, it's probably a bit more Hershey's in it. Because, I don't know why, but it, it, it'd be probably because of what I've hung around it. But it it doesn't come across with the sort of, on its own, it came across as a much richer chocolate. Here, I think it gives us a sort of creaminess and a sort of a cheaper milk chocolate kind of taste. I... Um, and, and I want to, I want, well, don't yeah. forget what you're about to say. Write it down if you have, but this one, I yeah. got to put a pin in that real quick. We, I live right outside. I'm, I'm outside the Philadelphia area. Um, for those that don't know, um, Hershey Park is, Hershey Town is an hour north of me, and we travel there okay. often. We go to the amusement park, we, or we're Hershey fans. 
Hershey is a cheap chocolate that I thoroughly enjoy, but it means different. It's something different to me because of how close we live and how I've spent 15 plus years going there and eating the chocolate from there. It is not a, you know, German chocolate. It's not a, you know, Swedish chocolate. It's a very cheap processed chocolate. And I love, it's like cheese whiz. Sometimes you just love it. It's, it's, you know, (laughs) so I do get that. Her, you, you said Hershey chocolate. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. It's exactly what I get. <laughs> and the best, most, most comp, you know, complimentary way possible. Yes. On the Hershey yeah. chocolate, like a good s'more. If you if you're a s'more fan. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I digress. I'm sorry. I had to share that. I no. had it because it means no, different to it, me it, than it may somebody from not in Hershey land. But go on. Yeah. No, well, but it, it, I mean, I, and I don't say it as a. Um, yeah, I don't say it with a with a kind of agenda about it's good or it bad. It's, right. It's, it's I associate that flavor with kind of cheaper sort of brands of chocolate rather than a green and blacks kind of seventy percent mm. cocoa, you know that kind of thing. So it's, it's I thought it would give us that and a sort of coffee note, and it doesn't. But what it does give us is this creaminess, which replaces the grain whiskey that's in the sort of the two other expressions of silky, and so that that creamy kind of milk chocolate toffee apple that's the sweetness that's the structure of it really and then on top of that we put 35 percent of it is peated single malt in a, um, a bourbon cask and then you have um oloroso sherry so so triple distilled oloroso sherry casks and then triple distilled oloroso sherry that's then finished in virgin oak and it's only the oloroso that's finished in the virgin oak and that bitterness that you get from the that virgin oak just cuts through the sweetness because it was just getting too sweet. And it gives us some color because all of the silkies are natural color um, and non-chill filter. So we don't that all of them are bottled at 46% because I can't afford a chill filtration unit. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to tell you there was some fantastic principle no. behind it, but actually um it's just that I haven't got an automated bottling line. We're completely manual. Um so there's literally a, a row of stainless steel tables and a lot of guys and girls standing there banging corks in, putting labels on, um, and, and, and no chill filtration unit. So, so all of them are a non-chill filter, natural color. And that, that virgin oak finish on the Oloroso just gave us that little bit of color that we needed so that it really lifted it. But it also, the bitterness that came with that also cut through what was becoming a little bit too sweet. And all of the range are probably a bit too sweet because I drink with ice. So I personally love cold drinks. Um, You know, you live in Africa as long as I did, or you live in Asia, these things happen. Um, And so for pleasure, I drink everything, tall glass, lots of ice. So I'm not looking for dilution. I'm just looking for cold. Um, And the cold, once you put ice in, I find the sweetness just gets knocked down. The smoke shines, but it also becomes a little bit earthier. Yeah. That's where I kind of like it. That's my sweet spot. I am an ice fan myself, and um, um, damn anyone that says anything different. Um, I've talked to so many people in this industry all over the world. I've been lucky enough, and I have yet have one master distiller from any distillery tell me that that's the wrong way to drink it. The only wrong way to drink your whiskey is not drinking it. Um, so my wife just tasted <laughs> it and gave me the 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 this is good nod, and my wife is a very picky <laughs> Uh, my wife's probably one of the best tasters in the world. Anyone that hasn't hired her yet, I don't know what they're thinking, but um, I'm sh- actually she's been approached a few times, but she keeps turning it down uh, to be on the show. To to be she she likes to be in the background. Here we are an hour into this conversation. And of course, I'll edit it and everything, but so we're gonna wrap yeah. it up. But to give you some time with your you know family on this Sunday, but I want to say on that note, there's no hiding in the world of whiskey, and I. I'm going to make a prediction, a bold prediction. I hope, and I hope it, hope it, hope it comes through, comes true. Yeah. I hope in the worst way, and I hope in the most annoying way, and I hope to the way where I'm pissed off at you, James, that your whiskey <laughs> becomes allocated and difficult to find. Uh. I hope you find yourself, and I see it coming. I see you becoming. I see this becoming one of those whiskeys that people want. And they 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 beat down the door and they pay the secondary market price and it's it's so interesting it's so complex it's so challenging in a positive way 
it's really that good. It, it, it's very, oh, wow. it's, it's excellent. And, um, you know, for such a young whiskey to come out of the gate so strong and to do so such cool things, I think, and you're a humble man, you know, I, I you, you said, I've lots to be humble. About. Well, you keep saying things <laughs> like, and this is sales. This is my sales background too. You, you said earlier about, you know, I got lucky because of the pandemic. I got lucky because of this. And I fell into a lucky position because of this. I had an old boss tell me, it's interesting that the luckiest people tend to be the most successful. Um, and then he followed by saying, funny thing is I don't believe in luck. Um, it's all hard work, man. It's, um, it's just, it's just a matter of care. You know, it's taking care of tradition. You've brought up the hometown enough that you obviously care. But if I was making a whiskey for my hometown and I really put the effort and love into it and I wanted to speak to the location I was in, I think I would make a whiskey like this. And it just speaks to what Ireland can be, but what the world wants to see. And it's a little bit different, a little bit funky and a little bit cool. And um, a little it's jazz, man. You made a jazz whiskey, and that's what I, I love. Made a jazz whiskey. That's I what I love. It. I love a fucking jazz oh, whiskey. Uh, um, but you know, Bobby, I know you. You know, just one one last thought. Just, no, please. Is, um, when you when you think when I think about, I, I, I there is a Gary Player element. You know, Gary Player, the golfer. Sure, yeah. You know, or maybe it was Jack Nicholas. One of the two of them said, "Both you know, great." The, the more I practice, the luckier I get. You know, and, yeah. and I think. Um, but but here's a, here's a kind of serendipitous lucky moment. So. Provine, which is the big festival in, you know, big drinks festival in Germany, Dusseldorf. Mm-hmm. I was going to meet Henry Price of Price Imports mm-hmm. in Dusseldorf. You know, he's a he's a, a legend in the industry. He's, sure, he, he he loves kind of family-owned brands. He lo- you know, he he has a little portfolio of his own, which is curated. It's thoughtful. He's, I'm he's very familiar. Really long, yeah. yeah. And, and he, I would have had a coffee in Dusseldorf. That was it. Yeah, and you know, and we we would have had fifteen twenty minutes because he was a busy guy and I was running around and to have a coffee and, and we might have hit it off or we might not. COVID hit, and he happened to be in Dublin and got stuck, so he couldn't get to Germany because Provine's now cancelled. He couldn't get home because they weren't allowing people to fly, and he was stuck in Dublin. So I, I said, "Listen, it's not an issue, Henry. I'll come down to Dublin. I'll see you there." And he went, "No, no, no, no. It's, it's four hours. Don't do that. Don't do that." And I said, "No, it's not a problem at all." So. Um, he then said, well, actually, I'm going to go to Belfast because um, I work with uh, David and Fiona at Shortcross, the Radaman Estate, so Shortcross Gin, Shortcross Whiskies. Um, I'm going to have dinner with them. And I said, that's cool. I'll see you after dinner. And he went, but how far is it? And I said, oh, I don't know. It's like three hours or something. But it's fine. I'll see you there after dinner. Tell me where your hotel is. So he told us where his hotel was. And, and literally, Moore and I just got in the car and started driving then because he was going to dinner. So... Um, by the time his dinner finished, we would be there. So we got to see him at the hotel. We had a coffee at sort of 10 o'clock at night and we were still sitting there sort of an hour and a half later chatting about the business. And and literally by the end of that call, by the end of that coffee, you know, what, two or three coffees, both Moore and I were looking at each other going, saying, we have got to get to work with this guy. We've got to move heaven and earth. And actually, fortunately, he turned around and said, you know, I really like you guys and we need to make this work. Yeah. So, so we we left him. He went to bed. We, we had to drive home and try and find a chip shop or a McDonald's or something that was open so that we could have some dinner. Um, but you know, we got home and you know, and really, you think about that. That's that's sort of March 2020. We got our first shipments out to to Henry. They left here in about the July 20, and so they were there September 20. And in, since that sort of September 20 to now, which is not very long, he's got us distribution in 40 states you're everywhere i was just looking where i was like thinking you know i love having people whiskeys i believe in on the show it's 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 important it's my i try to get small distilleries in america and this new and upcoming distilleries but i'm like man the the challenge is where do my people my listeners find this whiskey so i pulled up the map you're where can you not I mean, okay, I grew up in Texas and then Oklahoma in yeah. in Choctaw or Cherokee Nation, Oklahoma. So the indigenous people of, of, of Oklahoma, they've given their land back to the Native Americans and Cherokee Nation, right smack in the middle of Cherokee Nation is a little, uh, uh, Oklahoma is a little uh, bar 
or a little uh, okay. a liquor store that has that sells your brand. Uh, I live outside Philadelphia. I found one in Philly, yeah. all over New York. If you're in the U.S., it's everywhere. I mean, you just have you, a couple of places you have to drive a little ways, but it's worth it. Yeah. So he's done but a cracking job yeah. of getting you out and about. So, but yeah. it, it's gonna. You know what's gonna happen, James? You know, and I know I, I I keep fluffing you up, and I'm gonna you're gonna have this swollen head that your wife's gonna have to you know chisel back down. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's gonna happen is is it's it's gonna become it's so good it's gonna speak for itself. It really is. And Absolutely. I'm not yeah. I'm not saying that I'm. I've loved whiskeys that weren't good. So don't, you know, don't think my palate's going to win you any awards, but, um, I, I have my own, I love funky, weird things. I'm a, one of my favorite foods is caviar. And apparently that's a bizarre thing to love, but my <laughs> wife, I okay. trust my wife and her palate is never wrong. Like if she was betting yeah. on horses with her palate, you always go with that number. It, that's how it's that. Oh, kind okay. of thing. Right. Like every yeah. time she tastes a whiskey and says, this is outstanding. It, then wins an award the next year. That's who she is as a person. She loves it. So I, I oh, think man. I think you're killing it. I think the bottle's gorgeous. Your bottle chasers are going to love you. it. The name's hard to pronounce, which people like um, because it, it gives it some time of authentic, authenticity, I guess, a little bit. When you, oh, I know yeah. how to pronounce it. No one else does. It makes me feel so. The pretentious people are going to love it because they're going to have somebody say, "Well, I've got some slaba lieg," and they're going to be like, "Well, actually, it's pronounced." <laughs> and you're going to have that. So you have all the angles covered, but most and 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 front and foremost here, it's 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 just really really good. Um, Thank I, you. This I, is really kind. I do want that gin. I'll see if I can find it. If not, I'm not kidding about that email because seaweed is. I love. Ping me over. You, you need to ping me your address. I'll get it. To oh you. yeah. Oh, I'll take. I'll take. No. Especially if you like caviar, you'll love it. Because if you, our, our, our signature serve, if you if you can imagine this, is you take a fresh oyster. Yeah. Eat the oyster out of the shell. Yeah. Leave oh. the liquor. Leave the liquor in the shell. Uh-huh. Or awesome and in it's the perfect dirty martini. that's my jam that's i i'm i like the funkiest i could live on an island <laughs> and just eat whatever comes ashore it's uh it's I'm, i mean that james oh, you have been an absolute pleasure to talk to um i hope we can have you again on the show i hope very much to see more from silky and uh or, or of the silky line um from uh from your amazing distillery and great people blending and making over there it's incredible if you see a bottle listeners chasers chase this bottle go find it um it's not hard to find it's gorgeous um it's hard to pronounce the name but if you do your research you'll figure it out Silky's easy to say there's mermaids who doesn't like mermaids sleeve yeah my wife my wife my wife's going sleeve yeah yeah. Um, football league yeah league sleeve league but um, it's brilliant, man. You're killing it, and um, good Thank job, you. bravo. And you care, and I think that's the most important. Okay. That's the takeaway. It's a it's an owner that gives a shit. So and there's very few Thank of those you. in a weird way. Oh, no, you've been really kind. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it, mate. No, man. Thank you. You've been incredible. Mm-hmm.